ministry, the Calvary Way. But um, Pastor Don spent his time uh, uh, initially as uh, one of uh, Chuck Smith's uh, assistant pastors, done that a couple times. He started the uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College back before he was even at Marietta. So we're really blessed to have him. He's been a friend of Calvary Chapel Rio Grande Valley. Let's hear it. Am I on? All right, I'm on. All right. These guys come cruising in. The, uh, I was going to do a character study on character. And uh, actually, and I did do, as we were up there talking and looking at different things in the day, I kind of shifted in this last hour, and I want to look at it just a character himself. Probably one of the most interesting characters, I think, in all the Bible for me. I love actually doing character studies. I've done a lot on them through the years. Sometime I actually, I've done about, I think, about 48 or 50 different characters just as a study uh, through the years. And, uh, but one of the most interesting to me to look at uh, is Jacob. So turn to Genesis 28. And the reason I'm doing that is because as through the day, the studies uh, have been on the issue of character. And I suppose one of the greatest needs in the body of Christ today within the church is character. It seems like uh, what is it the church is constantly doing, trying to maybe gather people, thinking it's doing itself a service and other people a service, is, is that we lower the standards, you might say, of what, it, what a person ought to desire and have and know in their walk with Christ. And we just kind of say, well, don't worry about this and don't worry about that and don't worry about all sorts of other things in your life and your walk and, hey, we're all messed up anyway and come just as you are. And, and on one hand, that's what grace does. Uh, grace is there that a person, no matter who we are and however we come before God and we, re oh, hey, the awesome light. And, uh, but that we have, that, that God loves every one of us, knew us before the foundation of the world, knew us in our sin, knew us in our failings. And knew us when we were without strength, knew when we were ungodly, and here we when we were without strength. Christ died for the ungodly, knowing what a mess we are. And in his grace, he says, come to me. And yet Paul also says, shall we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he says, God forbid, perish the thought. Uh, that the, the wonderful thing is that Jesus says, I want to help you. I want to help change the areas of your heart and your life and your character that are eating away at you, that weaken your marriage, that weaken your home, your family, weaken your relationships. I want to help you with those things. Uh, you know, that hopefully every one of us, I doubt if anybody, how many of you are married? Most of you. I mean, I don't know how many of you maybe walked down the aisle. You probably looked at your wife and you, you, and, and you made a commitment to her. You probably said, forsaking all others, I pledge thee my troth. I'm going to have you this day forward for better, worse, richer, poor, sickness and health, love and cherish till death do us part. And you said, I am going to love you and I'm going to, you know, and, and I'm love no one else but you. But how many, did any of us get married and say, you know, I'm going to kind of love you. Kind of, I'm not really hard, you know, because there's a lot of other really nice ladies out there. And I like to flirt a little bit, but I, I'm going to hang out with you mostly. I don't think that would have been a good marriage. <laughs> I don't think she just said, "Ah, you're so wonderful to me. Who could turn down a deal like that? You know, but the, the thing is, in reality, we do have difficulties time, sometimes in our marriage or raising our family and with our children. And, uh, and the issue isn't there just to, well, that's who I am, so tough. But the issue should be, God, help me. I want to be the happiest man. I want the happiest marriage. I want a great home. I want wonderful children. I want wonderful grandchildren, and I'm falling short of that. Help me. Hopefully, that's one of the great longings every one of us would have today. And the issue there is that maybe some of us, as we've gone through the day, and subject after subject has been on character and character and character, maybe some of us were still sitting here at the end of the day and say, Who am I kidding? Who am I kidding? No use trying to kid God. I know what a character I am. Well, I was thinking a good person to look at last before we have communion and go home is Jacob. Because you want to meet a character, we got a character for you. Here I'm going to pick it up partway in this story. Genesis 28 in verse 10. And then we'll go back and put it together. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and he went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. 
And he took one of the stones of that place and he set it up at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and the top reached to heaven, and there were angels of God that were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. And also your descendants, they shall be as the dust of the earth. They shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Well, then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone which he had put at his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Well, then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you will give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we ask that as we kind of close it out in this final session, Lord, that you would just tie together loose ends of what you've been saying to us, what you've been doing. Bring it, Lord, to a conclusion. Lord, speak to us. We just admit we're but dust, we're but dirt. We are quite human. But Lord, we ask that because you're quite divine and quite perfect and quite loving, Lord, that you would find a way to make those come together, our humanness and your love, in a wonderful way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now, Jacob, as you probably know, uh, is Abraham's grandson. And Abraham, of course, he is the father of the whole Judeo-Christian world, essentially. God took him out and he started this fresh nation with him, of which you and I are actually grafted into Abraham, we're told in Romans, by faith, the body of Christ is. But it, he, Jacob is quite different, though, from his grandfather Abraham. Abraham was, uh, was a man there. He really did a lifelong journey there of faith and trust and wanting to follow God. He knew what it was to separate himself from the other nations around, and he had a lifelong honest pilgrimage. He was quite human. He certainly had his difficulties in this journey, but he was somebody quite sincere. In fact, I think I may look at him tomorrow morning. I'm not sure. But, uh, but he became ultimately a friend of God, Abraham did. Quite a thing to have God look at you and say, you're my fellow, you're my friend. But Jacob, on the other hand, though Abraham's grandson, he was quite a bit different. He reflects the, another side, you might say, of the Hebrew culture that's not quite so positive. You see, Jacob was a schemer. He was selfish. Jacob had a keen eye for what was best. He seemed to determine immediately what it was that he wanted. And uh, whoever de dealt with, a, with, with, with Jacob always got the short end of the stick. Uh, Jacob was a fellow, if you did a deal with him and you shook hands with him, count your fingers. He got something you didn't know he got. Check your wallet. He always seemed to get a little better, a little something that wasn't part of the deal. And uh, he, was, he was smart in that way, you might say. Uh, but with Jacob, essentially, self was uppermost. And, and the tools of his trade, they were half-truths, they were shifty ways, it was evasion. I suppose the one consistent thing you might say about Jacob, though, is he treated family and friends and foes alike. He cheated everybody. <laughs> he was a non-discriminatory cheat. I'll cheat all of you. <laughs> Whatever it is I want, if you got it, I don't care what relationship we have, I'll find a way to get it. That was Jacob when you look at him. But what I like about this story so much, I suppose, is that as great as man's selfishness can be, as great as the sinfulness can be, as great as our own self-centeredness uh, and rebellion can be in so many ways, God's long-suffering is greater. He can outlast you. And he, and, and, and he has this incredible way of, of, of working, you know, with us. Well, here in Genesis 28, we've actually picked up, you know, significantly into the story. So we need to back up a little bit on this and put it in perspective. Now, when Jacob's mother, uh, Rebecca, was pregnant with him, she's having a difficult pregnancy, we're told. 
And she goes to God, she inquires about it, and God tells her, well, actually, there's twins within you. And then more than just twins, there's two nations within you. And one nation, the older, will actually serve the younger uh, there of, of your children. And, but there's this struggle that's going on within her, and, you know, within her womb during this. Well, when it comes time to have the children, and she delivers, the first one comes out, and all we're told about him, he's described for us, that he was a very hairy kid, <laughs> very hairy, and so hairy that they ended up calling him Harry. That's what the name Esau means, Harry. They looked and said, well, that's a hairy little critter. I'll tell you what, let's call him Harry. So he was, Esau. And no sooner, though he wasn't even actually finished delivering, you know, being born, then immediately following and holding on to his heel was his brother, the other twin, hardly twins, but though twins technically. But here he comes out, he's holding on to his brother's heel when he's born. So it isn't even like two separate deliveries. It's just like one and not even finished with this. Out comes the second one, holding on to his heel. And so again, very original thinkers, they said, hey, let's call this one heel catcher. That's what, that, that, that's what Jacob means, surplanter. It, it, it went on to meet manipulator. Because it has the, the connotation, the suggestion, like somebody that's using other people to pull them through life. Here, you know, his brother Esau, he pulls him into the world. And somebody there that uses other people to get what they're trying to get. It came to mean cheat as well. Well, so here is, they're growing up. Their mom, she favors Jacob. She believes God has a plan for him. There doesn't know for sure what it is, but she favors him and dad favors Harry, Esau. And he, you get the picture of him as a growing up. He's more like the man's man. He's the hunter, the outdoorsman, the more macho of the two. Where Jacob, you kind of get more of a picture of a mama's boy. He's soft-skinned, we're told about him, and he seemed to love to cook and hang out. He seemed to be, have a much closer relationship with mom. And it's always a shame when parents, you know, favor one child over another, but that's what happened with them. Well, but it, Jacob, though he was somebody who was a cheat and everything else he was, he seemed to be somebody who wanted God's blessing. He wanted the things of God in his life, but he had no idea how to get them. He had no faith. He had no real trust so much in God, no real relationship with him. But he seemed to know there was something out there that was from God. And with the Hebrews, the way that they were is that the firstborn... Uh, firstborn male that was born in a family, they received what is known as a birthright. Now, the birthright had two aspects of it about it in the case of Abraham's descendants. That is, is that the greatest part of the birthright was the spiritual side. And the things that God had promised Abraham when he said, took him out, look north, south, east, and west, all of this, have I given unto thee in thy seed, and uh, your, your descendants will be as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, and out of your loins the Messiah will come. And here are these wonderful you know, promises of blessing and protection. They're spiritually of God's oversight, specifically of this line that went on. And then it also had greater material possession. They got about double what the next uh, you know, got out of it in terms of just materially if they were the firstborn. Well, Esau didn't seem to care much, particularly at all about the spiritual side. And, uh, but, but Jacob seemed to want it. Though, again, he had no idea how, would, how he would go about it. Well, one time, Esau, he's out hunting. He comes back and he's famished. He's starving, and Jacob happened to be cooking something. It's described in th three different ways in the Bible. One place is called red stuff. Another place is called a bowl of pottage. Another place it's called some, uh, 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 a morsel of meat. But the, the suggestion is it's like he's cooking up some sort of like a beef stew or something. And as, and as Esau comes back and he's starving to death, he turns to his brother, he says, as he's cooking this stuff, and he says, give me some of that red stuff, else I die. You know, it's kind of, you know, sometimes you walk in the door and say, I'm starving to death. Give me something to eat. Well, so Jacob, ever the manipulator, sees a little opening. He turns to his brother and says, I'll tell you what. You give me the birthright. I'll give you the pottage. And he says, okay, you're on. And just like that, he sells his birthright. Later on, we're told that God is watching this thing. He says, Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? 
God looks there that when he can give the greatest of his love and of his blessings, of his promises, the greatest of himself, that he can offer it to somebody and somebody says, I don't believe in you. I don't care about you. I don't want you. Oh, Grandpa Abraham. Yeah, he believed in this God, this pie in the sky, you know, this land. Where is it? We don't have any of it. You know, where are these promises? Where are all these great things where Grandpa, you know, old wacko granddaddy thought, well, I don't believe in it at all. Jacob, you need a crutch, you can have it. You want it? Sure. And Jacob, all right, gives him the pottage. But here God looks at Jacob, though, there, though he, he had, it was as big of a mess as his brother was. God says, I love that, Jacob. Well, you couldn't tell the difference looking at him to me in a lot of ways. Both of them are messed up cases. But God still saw something different in one of them because he wanted these things. He wanted God's blessing. No idea how to get it. Well, as time goes on, their uh, dad's getting old. And as Isaac's getting old there and he's, get, and he's blind, he realizes, well, his days might be numbered. And so he decides, he brings in Esau, his favorite. And he says, Esau, go make me up a meal. Go out, hunt something down and make me a great meal. And I'm going to give to you the birthright. He was determined that's what he was going to do. If he's the firstborn, I'm going to give it to him in spite of what mom may have said about her dream of God and vision of what God spoke to her, I'm going to give it to Esau anyway. And so Esau, okay, I'll do it. He still at least believed in, yeah, I'll get more material. So he goes out hunting. Well, mom overhears this. And so she quickly, she runs to Jacob. She says, quick, Jacob, go just get one of our animals out of our own flock, dress it up, make a meal, and come on in, and you're going to pretend to be Esau, and you're going to get the birthright. He's going to give it to him. Well, Jacob's his mother. I'm soft-skinned. You know, I mean, dad will pick it up. He says, he won't bless me. He'll curse me. Well, mom says, the curse be upon me. Just do it. And so he goes out hunting. Mom takes a couple animal skins, put one on the back of his neck and the back of his hand, has him go in and get one of the garments out of Jacob or Esau's tent. There, so she smell, he smelled. I, I guess he had a nice little aroma to his clothing. And so... And so he go in there and pretend, you just go in there and pretend he's blind, he won't catch it. So sure enough, they make up the meal real quick. She, he puts on these garments, puts on the, the animal skin, goes in there, and he says, hey, Dad, hi, I'm here. You got the, and he says, well, that was quick. He says, yeah, the Lord blessed. And uh, he says, but wait a minute, is it, who is that? It, 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 he says, it's, it, it's, it's, it, you say you're Esau, but it, has, it sounds like Jacob. Come near. He says, no, no, Dad, it's, uh, it's Esau. Well, come near, and sure, he smells him and touches him. Oh, yeah, that's... Can you imagine being such a hairy kid? You feel an animal skin, say, that's my boy. But anyway, so here he comes, and, he, and, and, and then he goes, and he gives him the blessing. Jacob sneaks out, gets out of there real quick. A little while later, in comes Esau. He's got the meal. Okay, Dad, I'm here with the, you know, with, with the meal for you. He says, what, who is that? He says, well, it's Esau. What are you talking about? He says, I knew it. I knew, it was I knew it was Jacob. He came in. He pretended to be you. He fooled me, and I gave him the birthright. And he says, you sure named him right. He's a cheat. He cheated me out of it. And, uh, and, and, and he said, well, can't you still give it to me? He says, no, it's too late. It's done. I can't turn it around. Once it's done, it's done. It's sealed. And they both weep about it and you know, try to get along with the thing. But then, under his breath, he then says, I'm going to kill Jacob. Well, one of the servants hears it. She goes, the servant goes and runs to, you know, to mom and says, I think we got a little problem here. Esau wants to kill David, uh, Jacob. She said, oh boy, they're no match. So she decides we got to get him out of here. So she goes to dad. She says, you know something, honey? I don't think we should have Jacob growing up here and he'll just marry one of these heathen women. We need to send him off to my brother and where he can marry one of our own. You know, just be, you know, and, and no, but these heathen women, we don't want them a heathen woman. We want to get a good woman. And daddy's old and he says, well, whatever, okay. And so this here in Genesis 28 is where we pick it up. Jacob is on his way to Laban's house. And as he's on the way to Jacob's house, you know, he has this, this incredible, uh, you know, a, a dream that, that, that happens. And, uh, and, and as he's having this dream, as God's revealing himself to him in this incredible way, he has this in, incredible you know, vision, this dream of God. And in this dream, I mean, he, you know, he, first of all, he, there's a couple things that are so important. 
This is really when you step back from it. It's a story of God's presence. God wanted Jacob to know you're never alone. You're never alone. Here, you know, many sometimes they can be away from God, knowing who they are and how they're living and think God's got to be hostile, he's got to be angry, he's got to be mad. And yet, when you look here, Jacob, he's actually on his way to actually further his career in rebellion. He's just on the run. He's, you know, to get away from his brother, lied to his father, done all of this. He's kind of, and yet there's God all around him. Here he's going back to the hole of the pit from which his grandfather was digged. He's going back, you know, uh, to, to, the, to the land that he came out of. And I'm sure he's not cherishing one spiritual thought. There's no suggestion of any prayer or thought of God. On one hand, apparently, maybe his life is somewhat of danger, alone, maybe for the first time in his life, probably. His conscience, no doubt, convicted. He's got to be quite weary. His head's probably full of, care, of, 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 of fears and cares. Plans are confused, and, the, and as he falls asleep, all of a sudden God reveals uh, the, the, another world right there, a world of protection, stability, spirituality, blessing, protection. And, and to Jacob, I mean, it's like a dream world. It's probably, we, you know, they call, we think of it as Jacob's ladder, but probably not a ladder like we think of a conventional ladder, probably some form of a staircase or something. All we know is there's angels descending down, ascending back up all around him. And, you know, this wonderful spiritual world of stability and security. And then he looks up at the top of it, and there is God at the top of it, touching heaven. And his entire pathway just filled with God's messengers, busy watching over him. And, uh, and, 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 and caring. And you know, I think Jacob, in his waking hours, normal hours, his conscious hours, it is selfishly controlled hours, he probably thought himself very, very much alone. Jacob is somebody, he could have, to me, he could have actually come up with the phrase, it's a dog eat dog world. He could have been the guy that says, it's survival of the fittest, baby. It's every man for himself. A man's got to do what a man's got to do. You don't like who I am? You don't like what I do? Tough. I'm a survivor. I'm, you, you go do and be whatever you're going to be. I, I'm doing what I got to do. And this is what I do well. You don't like it? Tough. But here, Jacob, asleep, alone. You know how when you're asleep, you're defenseless. And God can just pierce right in. And he has this dream, this vision. And it reveals this incredible army of safety, of protection. And while he's down here groveling on the earth, it's like God wants to lift his sights as if to say, you know something, buddy, you might be a clever man in this world, but you're ignorant of mine. No idea what you're missing out on. You hear whatever blessing you, you know, he thought he probably had at the time, he knew only too well it was founded on lies, deception, sleight of hand, you know, shell game, distortion. Why would God follow him anywhere? Why would God want to break into his world? He knew who he was. He knew what he was all about. He knew how he lived. He knew what's going on. And as a result of this, he's astonished. He's very astonished, you know, that God was even there. And somehow or another, he just thought he accidentally, somehow or another, just coincidentally slept there at the gate of heaven. It says, then when Jacob woke from his sleep and he says, surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. He was afraid. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Here, Jacob, he thinks like, here's heaven up here or something, the top of the ladder, God's home. And then there's this staircase coming down to earth. And here's God's angels ascending and descending all around. God's at the top. And he's looked there and it's all coincidence. He looks there and he's afraid. He says, I lost him. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Like, what are the odds? What are the odds of just the sunset? It was a long day. I'd been out traveling. I just needed to get some shut eye. And I just pulled up a rock. I laid down to get some sleep. Who in the world? What are the odds? What are the, what are the, the, the potential of actually sleeping at the very place where heaven and earth meet? This is the gate of heaven. There's a, this is the house of God. I slept at the doorway. You know, and, and, and he's afraid. How awesome is this place? As he's looking at, you know, at it. And he's fearful. He goes and he takes the stone and he says, pours some oil on it to kind of 
you know, sanctify it. There are things like, oh man, I didn't know. But that's, you know, that's the way that so often with so many that they can be in life. It's all coincidental. Even when, you know, sometimes, there may be some of you, you're sitting here today, and maybe today you've been hearing messages, maybe last night you heard Raul, or you heard him this morning, or you heard Dale, but and little by little, you're sitting here, and things have really spoken to you. Things have really happened. Somehow or another, you think, this is, this is Twilight Zone stuff. I'm really feeling like God's talking to me. And you're, and, 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 but at the same time, you shrug it off. It's coincidental. Hey, it's church. That's, that's the kind of thing that happens in church. I didn't come to Christ myself until I was a junior in college. And when my parents, my family would drag me off to church, oftentimes I'd be sitting there. And the, and the pastor, he's speaking just to me. And like my mother called him, said, I'm ringing Don. Here's a little list. Just kill him, would you? Just smack him silly. You know what I'm saying? I'm sitting there like, Mom, what are you doing? You know, I'm just, you'd get me to church and set me up for this. Like you're just sitting there. But then I'd, no, this is just, it's coincidental. I mean, this is church. God comes to church. He speaks to people. He loves my mom. He loves my dad. He loves everybody else in the family real well. And so this is just spilling over. This is just kind of what happens, you know, in it. In, but, but, but it wasn't to me. It was just coincidental because that's kind of how it worked. I just slept at the gate of heaven. I was just there. I didn't realize it all like David, you know, said, you know, whither shall I flee from thy spirit? Whither shall I go from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell at the uttermost parts of the sea, even then shall thy hand lead me. David looked there and he says, God, you're everywhere. There's no escaping from you. You're all over. This was no coincidence. He was everywhere. And it's just that sometimes and some things can happen in your life that seem coincidental, that seem to just touch you, seem to be real powerful, real things that go on. And, but it's, it's something there that God's wanting to teach his presence to us while we don't know it's everywhere. Let me tell you, wherever you go today, wherever you go tonight, you're going to, you're going to bed at the gate of heaven. Wherever you wake up in the morning, you'll wake up at the gate of heaven. Wherever you go to work tomorrow, however, whatever's going on, you're at the doorway of heaven. Whether you know it or not, whether you, you, whether you care or think or anything all about it, God's there. Because he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. But it's not only a story of God's presence. Jacob is a, is a wonderful story as well of God's provision. In the sense here, it, 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 God reveals as he speaks to Jacob what he wants to do for him. In verse 13, as Jacob, he's, he's in this dream, and he's having, and he says, Behold, the Lord stood above, and he says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. I'm the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also your descendants, they shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now think about that list with me for a minute. Think about it. Everything that every man in the world gets up, concerned about every day, the biggest heathen, the most rebellious, the most corrupt, God just looks at Jacob and he says, Jacob, I will give it to you. Here he looks, I'll give you land. I will give you family. I'll give you descendants. I will give you blessing. I will be with you. I will keep you. I will care for you. I'll watch over you. I will bring you back to this land, and I will never stop doing it until I've finished every bit of it. You see, I mean, you look at men get up every day, and they go out. They plow their field. They grind out the job. They go to work. They try to sell this or doing that because they're looking for that list. I need a place. I need a roof over my head. I need food. I need clothing. I need shelter. I need stability for my family. I need to have assurance of something in the future, something there that will never leave me, that will be with me always through this life. Everything that everybody gets up, God designed man. He designed all their needs into them, knowing this is whatever. Whether you believe in me, you like me, you want me, you, you, you trust me or not. God, in every one of us, he says, there, I put it in you. That you realize, one day, hopefully, I'm the source. And he looks at Jacob, though, and he says, everything that a person naturally seeks after, Jacob, they're supernaturally gifted. 
Jacob land, family, blessing, protection, direction. He looked at him and he says, Jacob, not only do I wish I could teach you my incredible presence, but also my provision. I wish you could realize that these are, they're not naturally acquired. You don't get them through the art of manipulation and skill and cheating and half-truths and lying and all this stuff you're always doing every day to try to get through your life, to try to make ends meet. Robbing Peter, paying Paul, lying here, doing that, and just leaving a mess behind you every day. Jacob, they don't come that way. They don't come through that way. They're freely given supernaturally. You know, I, 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 I travel a lot. I'm in airplanes a few days a week. And uh, frankly, I, you get tired of it. And I can sit in an airport and, and have, and I see these people that come in the airport with these private jets and all this fancy stuff that they got there. And I can daydream. In fact, I have, I did, you know, one time I did literally in the airport daydreaming, just thinking, Lord, I'd love it if you would give me a jet my own. You know, because it'd just be so neat. And God, I'd, re I'd be refreshed. I could travel. This is so tiring. Changing airports, stuck in airports, having to stay overnight, laid overs, all this other stuff. But if I just had my own jet. In fact, maybe one of you, you might be here and say, you know, I like that guy. I want to bless him. I'm praying for a Gulfstream 650. Now, it, they run 65 million bucks. And, but I just need one of you that really, just one, maybe, just, you never know what could happen. And, but no, I actually, you know, I mean, one time I'm just kind of thinking about that. I'm actually in this true story. I'm sitting in the airport thinking, that'd just be so cool. And as I'm kind of envisioning here, Jet there, McClure Airlines on the side or what, looking out the window on the, uh, all of a sudden, it's like I hear the, you know, my mind's eye just daydreaming this voice that says, over, over the PA system, Emergency, emergency, with the owner of that Gulfstream 650, McClure Airlines, move it immediately. It's illegally parked out on the tarmac. Get it out of there. And, uh, and I go running over to the PA. That, that's mine. That's my jet. Well, what's it doing there? You know, get it out of the way. Well, I, I don't know. Well, get your pilots out there and get that thing moved. Uh, I, I don't have any pilots. You've got a Gulfstream. I mean, pilots get, you know, well, where do I get pilots? You hire them. Well, where do I, how, what do they cost? Well, that takes two pilots, and with salary and benefits and vacation, insurances, and all that stuff, it'd be three, four hundred thousand bucks a year, probably. Three or four hundred thousand. You don't have any. All right, we'll tow it. You know, where's your hangar? I, I, I don't have a hangar. You've got a Gulfstream in your bag. Where do I get a hangar? Well, you lease one over there. Well, how much is there? About 20 grand a month. 20 grand a month. You know, all right, we'll just get it up. You just have fuel in it. I, I, I don't know. What's it cost to put fuel in? Well, that's about 15, 20 grand of fuel. 15, 20 thousand dollars of fuel. Is it insured? We'll just move it. I, 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 I don't have any insurance. I'd look there and say, I, I, I make $10 an hour. You know, all of a sudden, let me tell you, if you gave me freely a Gulfstream, you'd break me. I couldn't keep it running. I couldn't maintain it. I'd have, you know, I couldn't, I don't know how to fly it, I don't know how to land it, I don't know how to run a GPS system, I wouldn't know where I'm going, I wouldn't know how to get there, I wouldn't have the fuel for it, I'd have to keep the thing together with duct tape and, you know, and, and bailing wire, and, you know, I mean, go ahead and give it to me, I'll, I'll sell it. <laughs> so I don't want to stop any of you that might still be motivated. But the point of it is, is let me tell you, when God created you, He created so much, something so much more sophisticated than a Gulfstream. And when he created you and put you in this life, he knew he created something that needed a pilot, that needed a hangar, that needed fuel, that needed guidance, that needed to be taken off and landed. And he, that's what he does. I'm a pilot. I guide you. I care for you. I'll sustain you. I'll give you everything. You think that he would create you and then say, here, take care of yourself. Go figure it out. Beg, steal, borrow, cheat, manipulate. Whatever you got to do, just keep the plane flying. No. The Bible says that if God spared not his own son, will he not give all things to you? The Bible says if God created you and then he redeemed you with his own precious blood, you think now he can't keep a plane running? He can't take care of your life? He can't watch over you? 
In meantime, we're over here buying, selling, begging, stealing, lying, manipulating, keep trying to keep the plane in the air, trying to keep fuel going, trying to keep, you know, something there, and we got the thing just held together with junk tape, you know, and, and, and cheap stuff. And, you know, let me tell you, maybe some of you, the weight of the world is on you. You're trying to just, with all your heart, I'm just trying to keep it going. I'm just trying to keep the fat. I'm trying to keep the roof. I'm trying to I'm trying. Let me tell you something. If maybe if that's what's problem, maybe your problem really isn't the provision of God. It's the presence of God. Because maybe you stole the plane. Maybe you took it away from the manufacturer and you said, I'm flying where I want to. I'm running it however I want to. And you stole it. Well, you steal it, then you better have a lot of ways to keep it running. Because God says, if you bring it back to the manufacturer, if you bring it back to the one who created it and loves it, Jacob, this is what I'll do for you. You don't have to live this way, Jacob. You don't have to go on that way. Jacob, we can solve a lot of stuff right here, right now at Bethel. We can transform your life, Jacob. You don't have to handle all this. You don't have to have this, this, this nature and this character and this, this stuff that just ruins your relationship. Have truths, lies, shell game. Aren't you, aren't you tired of it, Jacob? And maybe the real answer is just that God's trying to say, you come home. You come home. You give it to me. You watch what I'll do, and you, you, you won't believe what I, what, I'm, what I will do for you and how much I do care. And the amazing thing about this that is so wonderful about this story to me, you know, it's like I say, a lot of people, they come to church. And on one hand, you sit here, and there's something that speaks to you, and it's kind of a blessing. But like I say, it's just kind of spilling over. It's almost like you're listening to me and saying, well, that, that's good stuff. That sounds reasonable. But you don't know my history with God. I'm on a trip right now. I'm, I'm on the run this very minute. I'm, I'm, I'm knee-deep in deceit and lying. I don't even know how to get out of it. I don't even know what I'm doing, so this might really be a good fit for somebody else. I don't think it's me. But then, though, this is not only a story to me of God's presence and also a story of God's provision. It's an incredible story of God's patience. Because the amazing thing that happened is Jacob wakes up out of this. And then he's no sooner awake than he's actually right back to Jacob. Very touched by it, yet at the same time he's immediately worried. I've been in a holy place and I'm, this is, I, I'm sure I, I'm in trouble for that somehow or another. So again he makes this monument, pours pour some oil on it, he sanctifies the rock. And then he does one of the most incredible things. He, he makes a deal with God. He counters the offer. He doesn't just simply, you, I mean, if the guy was really touched and really moved, you would think right then he'd just stop and just say, you're on, whatever you want. I'm tired. You tell me from the, I'll just do whatever it is you want me to do. I will do it. If, this, if what you're saying is true and I think it really might be true, I'm yours, I'm yours. Where do we go? What do we do? He doesn't do that. He wakes up and he counters the deal. You know, one of the things about a Jacob, I'll tell you one of the, I wish I was more like Abraham. I love Abraham. I wish I could identify with, the reason I, 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 that I, I, but I'll tell you, personally, I identify with Jacob far more. I think that I get him. Because Jacob's always a guy that, we, any deal is, is, that's just the opening of the negotiation. That's just the initial offer. Every offer is countered. You're a fool if you don't counter any offer. Somebody makes you a deal, that, that, okay, now we've, got to just, now we've got to open the discussion. Now here's, now I counter it. I'm Scottish. Are any of you Scottish? Well, we pride ourselves and we, we, you know, we, we, we think we're better than the Jews at manipulating stuff. At least we're right up there with them, you know, and stuff. We're, we're, we're dealers. We're tight. I mean, my motto, my personal motto is where there's a will, I want to be in it. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, but the, you know, the, there's whatever the deal is, somehow or another you can sweeten it. God makes him this incredible deal and he counters it. He comes back and he says, all right, here's my counteroffer. If, 
He doesn't just fall on his face and says, I mean, if you will be with me, and if you will keep me, and then he, you know, what is the, now that word keep, I mean, it means you'll generally watch over and take care and provide all that. We get that. That's when, you know, you see a woman, she's all decked out and stuff. Well, there's a well-kept woman. Somebody's providing well for her. God says, you'll keep me. But, I mean, that means bread to eat, clothing to wear. Now, you said you'd bring me back to my father's house, but I need to kind of put in another little qualifier on that. Bring me back in peace. You see, my brother kind of wants to kill me right now. And so, bring me back in peace. Uh, and he says, then, then, you'll be my God. You're on probation right now. I'm going to give you a shot at this thing, so I'm going to watch you close and keep a little diary here of if you do all this stuff, but if you keep me, if you're with me, you keep me, bring me back, you have food to eat, clothing to wear, bring me back to my father's house in peace, then you will be my God. And then ever the negotiator... Ever the wheeler dealer, you know, you know, there's another thing that you do is that you always you sweeten it a little. You always kind of throw in some little, little and because that's what he does there. You know, he turns to him, he says, and you, you ever watch these late night, you know, advertisers that kind of come on, you know, the, the late night shows or whatever. The guy comes out there, he says, ladies and gentlemen, good to be with you. I, right now, he says, I want you to know for the next 15 minutes, we are going to offer a deal here, only $9.95 for this brand new swammy rag. Now this swammy rag, it's a super rag. This thing, you can wash your dog, your wife, your car, your house, the street with this thing, throw out the washer dryer, it comes out brand new. It, it, it takes a beating, and, and wait a minute, there's more. It's not only $9.95, but if you call in the next 15 minutes, we will double the offer. Yes, we will double that offer, just play extras, trip, you know, shipping and handling or whatever, and, but only for the first callers in the next 15. You know how they are. Well, Jacob is the first late night wheeler dealer. <laughs> when he's doing it with God, God, he says, if you do this and this, this, he says, and, and. He throws out the deal, you're on, but, and this stone, this stone right here will be God's house. Yep, I'll come back, I'll build you a house, God. And, and, there's more. Of everything you give me, I'll give you a tenth. Yep, a tenth of it back. You make me rich, I'll give you a tenth. How's that sound? Can you just see God in heaven? To me, I just, I'm one of these, I'm a real visionary and stuff. I just see the Father and the Son sitting there. You just poured your heart out. You just love somebody. You just say, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired? Don't you just want, I'll take care, I, I, I love you. I know everything you need before you need them. I know your thoughts before you think them. I know the number of hairs on your head. I'll take care of you. I love you. Just give me your life. I'll do it. And then he counters it. And then you can just see, you know, and he says, now you're sitting there, and he says, and, and, but if we do this, at the end of it, if we do a really good job, we get to be as God. Wow. Yeah. And oh, wait, oh, wait, there's more, son. What? Well, he will build us a house. You know how bad we need another house. You know, some he'll build us a house. And if we make him filthy rich, he'll give 10% of it back to us. How could we possibly pass up a deal like that? We got 15 minutes. Hurry up. Call that 800 number and get our name in there, boy. You know what I mean? Could you just, you wonder what humans, you know, God sits there. Pours out his heart, I love you. I'll never leave you. I'll forgive you, I'll strengthen you, I'll help you, I'll guide you, I'll get you through everything, I'll keep you, I'll bring you back, I'll watch over you. And yet there's still something in us that we're sitting and they're playing the shell game with him. But I suppose perhaps the most amazing part of this entire story is that's exactly what happened. God says, okay, Jacob, you got a deal. You're on. Jacob gets up the next morning and he heads off to Laban's house. But David, God is also there. He says, you're on, Jacob, but we can make this easy. We can make it hard on this thing. But I'm going to give you Laban to deal with here, your uncle. He gets over there to Laban's house. Laban's got a couple daughters, Leah and Rachel. And he starts working for him. Rachel's the pretty one. Leah, she's a little older, and it just says weak-eyed, suggesting not as attractive. But at any rate, so he's working for him, and Laban comes to him. His uncle says, you know, boy, you're a good worker. What would you like for, for your labors? And he says, well, if I, I'd, I'd like Rachel, your daughter. I'd like to marry her. That's, that's, that's a workable deal. 
I'll tell you what, you work for me for seven years and she's yours. All right. He works for him for seven years. When, and here, you know, the, the, he ends up, the seventh year comes in. Back there in the eastern country, they just didn't have a wedding ceremony where somebody comes in and you got a 20-minute thing. Like, it, was, it went on for days. They'd travel for days and there was a big feast. And it would culminate with a ceremony. And evidently, we're not told how or what happened. All we know is that perhaps whether Laban got Jacob drunk or whatever, that by the time the actual ceremony happens, he slips in Leah in the place of Rachel. He then goes home with her on a honeymoon, and he consummates the relationship with her, with Leah, wakes up the next morning, and there's Leah laying next to him. Leah, what are you doing here? We're married. No, no, I married Rachel. No, no, you married me. No, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, 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 I didn't. Yes. Well, well, you better talk to Daddy. This is between you and me, because, yes, we are married. And really, he goes running you know, to, to Laban. And you know, one of the things about a cheat, you know, the cheat, a cheat, to a cheat, everybody in the world is their game. There's only one person in the world a cheat hates, a better cheat. And Laban is a better cheat. And Laban, so Jacob goes to Laban, he says, Laban, what's, what's going on here? We had a deal for Rachel. And he says, didn't you read the small print? What small print? What are you talking about? Oh, we, I'm sure we talked about this. Didn't we talk about this? No, we didn't talk about it. You know, what do you need? And he says, well, we have a custom here that we always marry the older, uglier one first. I'm sure we talked about it. No, we did not talk about that. I went read you. And he says, well, you've already kind of closed escrow on that deal, you know, and stuff. So, uh, but do you still want Rachel? Yes, I want Rachel. Said, well, I'll, if you want to work for me for seven more years, she's yours. Okay. But here, I don't know what she looked like 14 years after he picked her out. But anyway, we won't go there. But anyway, so here he ends up. He's got two wives. Well, he has these two wives now, these two, and who don't like each other and are jealous of each other. Leah, the one he didn't want, starts plopping out babies. One, two, three, four boys. Rachel over here is barren. God closes up her womb. She didn't have any. She goes running to Jacob. She says, give me children. What are you doing? You're having all these children with Leah. Give me children. He says, woman, I'm doing my part. I'm doing all I can. I don't know what it is. So... And so she says, I'll tell you what, here's the deal. You're going to have relations with my maidservant. You're going to have children with her, and they go on my account. He says, well, okay. <laughs> whatever you say, I'm, I'm obliging to whatever helps you ladies. You know, so now he's got three women. And this one over here, the handmaid, she starts having babies. Meantime, Leah's womb is closed up. She's not getting any more. Now Rachel's catching up. Leah now goes to Jacob, and she says, Rachel's catching Give me children now. And you know, he says, I'm doing everything I can. You know, and this, believe me. And he says, well, it's not good enough. So she says, you take one of my maidens, and you have children with her then, and then they go on my account because i got to catch up. And he was a very obliging fellow, this Jacob was. <laughs> okay, I just want to make you all happy. But all that's happening is there's tension you can't believe going on. They're actually naming their children, now they're hating their jealousy for each other. And so here he's got this home, and then also Laban's sons, who are heirs to him, while all of this is going on, while Jacob is still Jacob, and he, God is still taking care of him. God made a commitment. Take care of you. You're not going to like the way it's coming out, but, I'll, he, but only here. And he's blessing him. They've tried to figure out how it is, but only now his, his, his cousins are upset because they're watching the wealth of Laban be shifted over. Then in the process of it, Jacob's servants and Laban's servants, and the, they don't get along. There's all this agitation everywhere he goes. Every relationship is in shambles. His wives, attention, he goes wherever, he, there's no place, he can't go to work, can't go to his uncle, can't go to labor, can't go to the field, everything is tension. Finally decides, I got to get out of here. I can't take this anymore. Laban has gone on a three-day journey. While he's gone, Jacob figures, this is it, I got to get out of here. He packs his wives, his children, the flocks, everything up, and they take off. Then three days later, Laban comes back, he says, where's Jacob? Where are my daughters? My grandchildren, what's going on here? And then where's, where are my gods? My gods are missing. 
I can't find my gods. That's terrible when you, can't, when you misplaced your gods. But anyway, so he's really, he just, I'm going to kill him. He's chasing him. He's going to get down there and he's done with him. I mean, these two have so messed with each other for so many years, it's just both of them are sick and tired of each other. Before Laban catches up with him, God says, you can't kill him. You have a chat with him, but you can't kill him. Meantime, so finally he catches up and he's just so mad. And where are my gods? Somebody stole the gods. And well, one of them sits on a hides him in the end. They say, we don't know, we don't know. And he looks around and here he's watching everything. And then he just says, all right, go on, get out of here. Just get out. And uh, I can't take you in. And he says, the Lord be between thee and me. And some people think that was a very nice thing. It wasn't at all. What that means is, is if I'm ever in a room with you again, buddy, God better be right in between the two of us. Now go on. Ruin my life. And now when everything is just, you'd think it it couldn't be worse. It couldn't be worse. One of his servants comes to him. He says, "Uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob, what? You know. Uh, I need to tell you something. What do you need to tell me? Uh, right over the hill, your brother, Esau? Yeah, what about it? Uh, he's right over the hill, and he has 400 men with him, and he's coming to see you. No. Yep. No. He now there, he, so he goes, and he takes hundreds of animals, send them off to my brother. Here. Get this here. Run and take all these animals and greet him in my name and just say, hey, bro, I've been so excited you're coming. I've been missing you. I think about you all the time. You know, and, and so here's a gift for you. And then he thinks about that's not going to do. So he sends hundreds more. And then he thinks, no, that isn't going to do. He divides, he divides the family up into two different groups. Maybe somebody will live through tomorrow. We can't outrun him. Tomorrow it's, it's going to be one bad, bad day. And there he takes one over here and one over there, and then he goes out, and the second time in his life it says, Jacob's alone again, like he was years ago. And there when he's alone, and now things can't get worse, all of a sudden a, pan, a man appears before him, and he says, would you like to wrestle with me? A theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of God himself. When God, the Bible says, wrestled with Jacob. And he wrestled all night. All night. That's astounding. You would think this would be a rather short wrestling match. Would you like to wrestle? Yeah. Oh, you lose. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Are you okay there, buddy? You know, I mean, <laughs> you mean, you would just think, but instead, God wrestles all and just wears him, wears him, wears him, wears him to utter exhaustion. And then in the morning, the sun, it says, is rising. And now God is backing off, and he says, I'm, I'm done now. And all of a sudden, Jacob realizes it's God. And he looks at him, and he grabs on, and he says, I won't let you go lest you bless me. I let you go once. Never again. I won't let you go. And you know, I think there Jacob probably realized, I don't know, but I'll bet he realized that it had always been God he was wrestling with. He thought it was his dad, he thought it was his brother, he thought it was his wives, he thought it was his father-in-law, he thought it was the employees, he thought it was the cousins. Because, you know, he thought it all, you know, that's, that's, he looks there and he's always a wrestler. He'd been wrestling all of his life. There's some of you, maybe, if you're like me and you're like Jacob, that's what you've been doing. Some of you, I don't know your dad's name, but if I knew it, I said, tell me about so-and-so. You may have said, don't, I don't, don't mention my, that, that man's name to me. Or maybe you were married before. I said, by the way, weren't you married to so-and-so? Don't me- that woman messed up my life. You can't believe it. Didn't you used to work for so-and-so over and over? Yeah, that guy cheated me out of everything. I, the guy probably ripped me off. Well, don't you have other relatives over there? Leave him out of this. I could start going down a list of relationships, and there's one. You could move from one city to another, a different marriage, a different job, and yet you're no sooner there. All over again, you start a brand new piece time for a, a week or two, and then you're wrestling again with the next world. And you go from wrestling match to wrestling match to wrestling match. And, you, and it's always somebody that messed with you. And I think Jacob all of a sudden realized, God, has it always been you? Has it always been you? And God said, yeah, it's always been me. 
We could have settled this a long time ago, but you didn't pay any attention, Jacob. You didn't. We can settle it now. And Jacob there, he, he turns to God and he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. He says, uh, what's your name? Jacob. Cheat. Manipulator. You know. And he says, no more. Your name is no more Jacob. From now on, your name is Israel, which means governed by God. You're mine. And he says, for thou hast wrestled with God and has prevailed. What? Yes, you won, Jacob. But I just lost. Yes, you lost. And in losing to me, you won for life. You won for life, Jacob. And, you know, Jacob went from there that night, or the next day, he goes out and he meets his brother. And instead of his brother wanting to kill him, they embrace him, and he, and he turns to his brother and he says, all these animals, take them. And he says, no, I don't need it. I don't need any of this. And he says, no, I need to give it to you. I need to learn to live this way. You take them, and you keep them, please. And Jacob, he went back and he built that house, not out of debt, not out of obligation. And he gave to God, not because a deal, keeping the deal. His life was changed because he was governed by God. He finally gave up. He finally surrendered. And he finally won. And maybe some of you, you're here and your character, you look and you realize, God, I'm tired. And God looks and he says, I've been waiting for you to get tired. I've been waiting, Jacob. Are you tired? Are you tired? Tired of wrestling? Are you at a place where maybe you could look and say, God, I, I, I give in. I give up. I want it. I want you. Whatever you want, I want to be governed by God. God says, that means from now on, I'll wrestle with your wife. I'll wrestle with the job. I'll wrestle with the bank. I'll wrestle with all this. You'll give it to me. I'll wrestle with those kids. I know who they are. I love them. And I've got the grace and the wisdom and the strength. Everything you need that you don't have to fight. If you're tired, you can give in. And as we close today, we're going to have communion in a few moments, and Pastor Ray's going to come up. But maybe as we close, maybe some of you, just between you and, and the Lord, and you don't even care who else, but you would say, God, I'm tired. I'm Jacob. I want to change my name today. I'm tired of running. I've had maybe some of you, maybe even as a kid, you were to camp at a kid or Sunday school, and you had a real occurrence with God. And you gave him your life, and you were going to do this and that, and yet you went out and you forgot all about it. You shined him on. You know, you had, and you just blew it away. God never forgot it. You gave him your life maybe years ago. You did this and that, but then you went on and you've just been yourself. But God has never forgot that time. He's still there, and he says, I remember the deal we made. I'm keeping my part. Are you ready to keep yours? And maybe that's where some of you are at. If you're at, and we're going to close in prayer, but if you'd like just to stand wherever you are, we're going to pray together. It may be the hardest thing you've ever done, but if, if you're, you sit here and you say, I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. I want to be Israel. Then you stand and we'll pray. Because I'll tell you, one of the neatest things in life is getting old. It really is. Older you get, the tireder you get. And that's the way God made us. And one day, oh, when you're young, you can fight and you can, <laughs> I can fix this God. And he says, okay, go ahead. If you're tired, though, I'm not tired, Jacob. I'm waiting. I never forgot. Anybody else that you know God speaking to you, this is today. You. You just stand. Lord Jesus, we just do stand before you, and Lord, in doing so, Lord, we, we're so used to running stuff. 
this is kind of all new when we're going to sit here and say, Lord, I want you to go home and you talk to my wife. You know how I talk. I don't want, I don't want to run it anymore. You know how I am with kids, or you know how I am at the office, or you know how I am with the other people. You know me. I don't want to be Jacob. I'm tired of being Jacob. I want to be Israel. I want to be governed by you, and I'm tired, and thank you, Lord, you've tired me out. Thank you that you do remember this, and, and, and you do care. And heaven smiles, and you're not looking for promises and efforts and guarantees and how good we're going to be. You look to us and say, I want you to look at me and let me tell you how good I am, how sweet I am, how loving I am, how grace I, graceful I am, how kind I am. Lord, I pray that with each man that's standing, whatever the Jacob is within him, that we can just let something die today and say, Jesus, I imagine Jacob will be back. I imagine I will. You know me. But Lord, the moment I come back and there's a voice or there's a word to my wife or somewhere that I realize that's Jacob. That's Jacob. And that something inside of us, Jesus, would say, take care of him, Jesus. I'm tired of Jacob. I want to reckon him dead and you alive. So Jesus, we ask that you with your love would just touch and strengthen and bless each and every man as we just bless you and we thank you for your love. Strengthen us. Help us. That, Lord, we are just so grateful that you get us tired. You get us alone. Also that you can give us your strength and your love. We thank you. Praise you. Ask that you would go home with every man. Bless him. And he goes to bed tonight. He lays his head at the gate of heaven. When he wakes up tomorrow morning, he's at the gate of heaven. When he goes to work, he's at the gate of heaven. He says, Lord, here we are at the gate. I'm going in. Now guide me through the day. So bless and strengthen. We ask it in Jesus, your wonderful name. Amen. Have a seat, and I, I think...